Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. If you would be opening your Bibles, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we'll be studying uh, especially out of the 27th and 28th chapter tonight. And on your pew Bibles, that'll be around 183. And uh, be sure and open your Bible and let's follow along together and let's learn from the great book of the second law, the book of Deuteronomy. I understand that the Young at Heart Banquet was a tremendous success last night, and that's good. Uh, that's some of the best folks in the world. Uh, they're the ones that are very much a part of this congregation, very active, uh, great contributors today. But uh, they're the ones that have contributed over the past few decades that have made a tremendous difference. And uh, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to honor you, and, and we appreciate each one that took part in and giving honor to the ones that definitely are due honor. Do continue to pray for the mission work that is taking place and continue to pray for neighbors around you that you can invite, people that you can be a good influence upon them. And let's all be about the Lord's work every day of our life. You know, one of the most exciting things that I was a part of uh, personally on the mission trip was the opportunity to sit down inside a school and study with a, pres- with a principal of a school there in El Salvador. Now, that could have never happened here in the U.S. We literally sat down in the principal's office with an open Bible in a public school. Teachers came and, and went, and, and it was a wonderful experience. It was a little bit sobering, though, because the principal that we were studying with was a man that was in deep grief. And really, that's what opened up the opportunity to study with him. He lost his wife of 23 years. As he described many things about where he was in life, something stood out that was very interesting. He talked about that he was involved in a type of life now that he didn't agree with. He's involved in a relationship now that he doesn't agree with. Uh, He has single friends that ask him to do things that he says, it's just not me when I do them. I always feel bad afterwards. He says, I've lost a reason to live. I feel completely hopeless. I want more in my life. He said, my friends don't understand this because, you see, I have transportation, they tell me. Most of them don't own vehicles. He says, I have a nice house. Most of them do not have nice homes. He says, I have a professional job and a good salary. And all of them tell me that I ought to be the happiest man on earth. And he said, I realize now that those things don't matter. I'd give them all up if I could just have back peace in my life. What a wonderful opportunity to study God's Word. You see, what he's experiencing right now is that his reaction to grief was to live a godless life. And he's suffering the curses of living a godless life. He's lost hope. He's lost the peace of God. But as we studied in the Scriptures, he was able to see that there was hope that could be found in his life again. He could know the peace of God And what a wonderful thing to be able to sit down without any doubt in my mind and be able to study from scriptures and show him and assure him of the fact that his life could be a blessing again. That he truly could receive far greater blessings than what he's ever known in his life. Well, they might not all be monetary, but even as he has already noticed in life, those aren't the greatest blessings. Friends, tonight as we continue looking at the book of Deuteronomy... 
I hope you and I see clearly that there's so much more to the Christian life than just a final reward of either heaven or hell. Although that's very important for us to think about. When we decide our master, we decide it to be God, and therefore we listen and obey God, the result is a certain life. And that life of godly living is a type of life that God can bless. He can work in that life and He promises those blessings. But on the other hand, if I decide not to follow God, the only other master is Satan. And that brings forth a certain kind of life. And that worldly, fleshly, immoral, carnal living brings about certain results. And those results are curses. And friends, I must realize that when I'm choosing my masters, I'm choosing whom I obey, but I'm also choosing the results. I choose whether I want blessings in life or if I want curses in life. If you could take all of Deuteronomy and just put it down into a sentence or two, you remember from this morning, Moses has led the children of Israel, this next generation, to the Jordan River. And that's really what the book of Deuteronomy is. He's saying to them, Choose your God. Choose whom you're going to obey. But let me remind you of something. You're also choosing either blessings or the consequences of the curses that come from godless living. You see, as we look at this next slide, Jensen, that is a scholar that has laid out the book in in a way like this that makes it very simple. He says that the first three chapters is where Moses just reminds them of previous generations. We looked at the first chapter and we note that from this morning that he was reminding them of what their forefathers did and the failures because of their faithlessness. But then over the next chapters, 4 through about 26, we see that he is reminding them of what they were to be presently. He was reminding them of the law that God asked them to live. They were going to have to listen to that law. They were going to have to decide if God was going to be their God, going to be their master. And if so, they were going to have to obey that law. And then, the next three chapters after that, He shows them what their future can be. Now, wait a minute. How did Moses know their future? He knew their future because he knew what and how God blesses. And what and how God curses. And so he was able to tell them that based upon that. Friends, in that sense, you and I can know much about our future based upon whom we choose to serve. With that in mind, let's go over to Deuteronomy, the 27th chapter. And let's look at a, at a glimpse of these few chapters here. And uh, if you'll notice in your Bible, there's a lot of verses. So we're going to have to just highlight several things. But as we go into the 27th chapter, we see that it was time for them to march over and hear this law one more time. And so he writes this law on stone, whitewashes it with lime, and then writes on stone. And it's interesting to me that in verse 8 of the 27th chapter, he says, And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of the law. You see the emphasis here? We're going to write it down so everybody can read it. We're going to write it real plainly so everybody can clearly understand it. And we're going to write down all the words of the law. As we said this morning, that is the emphasis in the book of Deuteronomy. That is whether or not we're going to obey all that God has asked. So that's how the the introduction here of of reviewing with them the law again. Now, it's interesting how that's done. If you look in verse 11 and 12, they brought the people in and they split the tribes. And they put 12 tribes 
uh, six tribes in verse 12, Mount Gerasim. And these were going to be the ones that would represent the blessings. And these tribes were the sons of Leah and Rachel. And then on Mount Ebal in verse 13, they were going to represent those that would be cursed. And those sons were Zilpah and Belah's sons. And when the Levites would be in the middle, now you imagine a whole tribe of Levites in the middle, and they're yelling out, they're crying out the next verses. But at the end of each verse, the people were to yell in response, Amen. In other words, I hear every word that the Lord is asking of me, and I agree to follow it. Amen. Now let's just read verse 15 and talk about it, and then we'll just mention the rest throughout this chapter in in just a very uh, scanning type of way. Look at verse 15. Cursed is the one who makes a carved or a molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all of the people shall answer and say, Amen. Now notice it's cursed here for those that make this idol. Then who's going to do the cursing? Is he saying that it's the part and the responsibility of the Levites or of other tribes to curse? No. You could even make it in secret where no one but that one individual knew about this image that they had made and were bowing down to. And you know what God says is going to be the result? That person is going to be cursed. You see, it's God that brings about the punishment for sin. Not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that must he reap. Now friends, it may be an embarrassment when others find out about our sins. And we, if they are criminal, may have other types of punishment from a judicial system. And we may even have friends that scold us. But the bottom line is, no matter what happens on this earth, I still will reap the punishment from God. The curse from God if I choose to rebel. So therefore, even if it's private, if I have things in my life that I can honestly say nobody on earth knows about this, God still punishes that. God still curses that. And so now let's notice a few other things. In verse 16, he talks about curses of mistreating fathers and mothers. In 17 and 18 and 19, he talks about mistreating those who are weak. In 20 through 23, he talks about sexual sin. In 24 and 25, he talks about violence and murder. And every one of these individually, he says they're curses. And each time, the congregation of Israel responds, Amen. And then let's read 26 to see the emphasis again. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of the law. And all the people shall say amen. So see, notice again, it's all the words of the law. Now, as we're going to 28, if you'll notice if your Bible especially has paragraphs, you'll notice that 14 verses offer the blessings. And then over 50 verses, about 54 verses deal with Many more curses where Moses is standing these people on the edge of Jordan, if you will. He's trying to prepare them to cross over. He's trying to prepare them for their new leader that's going to take over. This is his last speech to them. When he finishes the book of Deuteronomy before it's even ended, he's going to be called up by God on on Mount Nebo and he's going to die And God is going to bury him and no man even knows where the sepulcher is. So this is Moses' final plea with them to say, think about what your fathers did. Think about what God wants you to do today. And think about the consequences. The consequences is the closing that he gives to his speech to put the motivation in it. 
Moses wanted us to think about how great things are if we follow God. He wanted that to be the motive. He wanted us to think of how hard things are if we don't follow God. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that everything we read in these same chapters would be exactly the way that it would unfold for us. But in this Old Testament story, we see examples of how God has blessed obedience and how He has cursed disobedience. So let's look at the 28th chapter in verse 1. And we see some groundwork laid here. And let's read verse 1 and 2 on the next slide there together. Notice what he says, Now it shall come to pass... And by the way, as we read this, please note the word if in verse 1 and because in verse 2. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Did you notice how many ways he emphasized obedience when he says not just obey, but back there in verse 1 he said diligently obey. And then not just God, but the voice of the Lord. You see, that's master and servant, the Lord your God. And then notice it wasn't just to obey again, but to observe carefully All His commandments. See, over and over, Moses is placing the emphasis upon knowing all the will of God, observing it carefully, diligently giving ourselves in obedient service to God. And he hinges all of this. You say, well, that sure is a lot to ask of someone. And you know what? He says, if you'll do that, you can rise above all nations. But now what if you don't do that? Well, there's going to be destruction from the other nations, as we see in just a few minutes. And then notice the because. The because, the blessings are because you obey. God has no problem saying, I reward obedience. Someone says, I don't understand where grace is. Grace is what takes away the guilt of past sins. Grace never is a substitution for present obedience. Never. And so it is, as, as we scan the next following verses, and notice in verse 3, 4, and 5, and I hope that it's kind of gets your appetite enough for this chapter or two that you'll go back and study it in depth this, this week. It's interesting reading. And in 3, 4, and 5, he talks about the blessings of prosperity that's going to be in their land if they will, be, uh, if they will obey. Even the safety that they're going to have in verse 7, more of the prosperity in verse 8. I'd like to read verse 9 as it talks about the relationship with God uh, if they will obey. He says, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to Himself, just as He has sworn to you, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. He speaks more of the prosperity in verse 11. And then in verse 12, He even speaks how nature will be kind to them. In verse 13, He talks about their power, that they'll be above other nations. And now, concluding the blessings, let's read 14. He says, So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods and to serve them. Which way is safe? To serve God going too far to the right or to serve God going too far to the left? Well, which side of the road do you want to run off into if it's a fatal accident? doesn't matter, does it? 
Well, that's the same way with the will of God. We can't say sinning to the right is not as bad as sinning to the left. What God says is, I want to give you a law. I want to give you safe boundaries. And if you will keep these safe boundaries, your life is going to be blessed. But if you go beyond any boundary to the right or to the left, you will suffer the curses of leaving the will of God. How many times are we asked, what kind of congregation is Mount Juliet? New folks will move into town. What kind of congregation is Mount Juliet? Well, we're a congregation that's trying to stay right in the middle of God's will. Nothing to gloat about being to the right of God's will. No favor found in being the left of God's will. Death on both accounts. We're only blessed and we only prosper when we are in the midst of God's will. Now, the following verses, many, many verses are the curses of disobedience that's especially going to take place to the children of Israel if and when, because they ended up doing this. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that up front. They ended up leaving God. They suffered the curses that Moses warned them that they might suffer. And I'll warn you ahead of time. Some of them are very gross. In verse 15, though, it is an exact opposite of writing than verse 1. You know, we read just a few minutes ago in the 28th chapter, verse 1, that if, if they would obey. But now listen to it as we read in verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will be upon you and overtake you. And then he gives the curses that would deal with their prosperity and living in their cities and their countrysides. In 21 and 22, he begins listing many diseases that would come upon them. In 23 and 24, he even mentions how nature would work against them. And in 25 and 26, how even their carcasses would be hung out by their enemies and eaten by the birds. And 27 through about 37, he describes some of the most torturing ways of, of health and mental illness and diseases. For example, he mentions in 30 that, that you'd take a wife, but another man would steal her away to lie with her. You'd build a house and someone else would live in it. You'd plant a vineyard someone else would gather the grapes. you have an ox slaughtered, but someone else would eat it. Your donkey would be stolen from you. 32 also just rips your heart out. Your sons and daughters would be given to another people. You want to take your baby and, and give your baby away against your will, of course. Your baby's taken from you. Why would that happen? Because they left God. And God is going to stop protecting a nation that leaves Him. So therefore, the enemies have free reign. And what are one of the things that the enemies want? Here he mentions, he says, one enemy might want your wife. Another enemy may want to steal your children. It's going to happen to you if you leave God. That surely would be motivation to say... I want to follow God. Now, as, as we read on in, in 34, he says, and, and this is um, such a tie-in to this morning's lesson. He says, so you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. And you see, that's what he describes at the end when he says, you're going to see your spouses stolen from you. You're going to see your homes, your possessions, even your children stolen from you. And you're going to sit over here and you're going to literally go crazy because what your eyes have seen. Now, let's go back to this morning's lesson. How did they get into this mess? Because they would not live by faith and they wanted to live by what they could see. Isn't that ironic? Well, well God, I, I would follow you, but God, I trust me in my eyes more than I trust you and your might. 
And so, Lord, instead of following you here, I'm going to do it my way because I can see this. And God says, okay, you live based upon what you can see. And all you can expect are curses. And you know what? What you see is going to end up driving you crazy. Now, to me, mental illness is probably the greatest illness that exists on this earth. I don't say this lightly. I think I'd rather have cancer than have mental illness. I realize that some is tied to hereditary. But do you realize even today a lot of mental illnesses are still provoked because of sin? I'm not suggesting all of them. Please don't leave here and say the preacher of Mount Julius said they're all tied to sin. I'm not saying that. But some, if not the majority are. Curses that drive us crazy. He warned of it. Now notice as, as we read 38 down through about 47, he talks about losses of crops and losses of businesses. And, and something again that stands out to me as, as, as just somewhat uh, ironic twist. He says in 47, because you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. And that goes back to our theme this year of the joy of the Lord. And he says, you've stopped serving the Lord with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck. He will destroy you. What an exchange. We could have served God by faith with gladness and joy in our heart. And we could have had Jesus' yoke that says, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in spirit. And you'll find rest into your soul. And the Lord says, Oh, you didn't want that. You didn't want that kind of yoke. Instead, you wanted to serve your own master. And guess what? Your own master has let enemies take over you. And they've placed an iron yoke on you that he says at 48, that is designed to destroy you. Wow, what an exchange. Jesus and his yoke that's easy. Or Satan and his yoke that's designed to destroy us. And then we get to the most gross section of all in verse 54, probably the most gross writing in all the Bible. He gives two examples. One in verse 54 of a very sensitive and very refined man. You would think if we're talking about cannibalism that that would be the major theme of these two verses. Especially if we're talking about a man eating his own children. What stands out as the most shocking thing that as we read these four verses, the cannibalism of your own children was the afterthought. What was really placed in front was how stingy the parents were by not sharing the meat of their own children with other family members. The sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children, whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children, whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you at your gate. This must be a madman. Well, no, he's described as sensitive and very refined. 
What kind of woman would eat her child? Do you think it would ever be, in verse 56, the tender and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity? Can you imagine that? Here this woman is, is, is so delicate. She has her feet cleaned and she's sitting on a bed or a couch and someone's at the door and she says, Oh, You'll just have to come in. I I can't get up to answer the door. That wouldn't be proper. I'm barefooted. What would happen if a woman like that decided to leave God? What would happen if that woman left God and then suffered the curses of leaving God? Will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter, her placenta, which comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears. For she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege in desperate straits, and which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. How bad can it get when we leave God? I'm not suggesting to you that if any of us left God, that in our lifetime, it might get that bad. But speaking in general terms over generations, that could happen in America. That could happen with any nation that continually, for generation after generation, leaves God. What's the point? When you and I leave God, we do not get to set the boundaries of how big or how small the curses may be. We don't get that option. We don't get to say, God, I don't want to live by faith anymore, but I'll tell you this. I don't want big curses to come upon me. I just want the little curses that really don't hurt very much. We don't get that. When we leave the loving master, then our other master is Satan. And Satan is the one that likes the iron yoke. And he likes to beat us down and destroy us as much as possible. The worse it is, I suppose the happier he is. Now as we think about this, notice in verse 67. And by the way, the rest of that talks more of the exile and dispersions. And then in 67 he says, morning, we're going to say, oh, I wish it were evening because morning's so bad. Then when evening comes, it's so bad, we'll say, oh, I wish it was morning again. And that cycle just continues. It never gets better. And then... Finally, in 68, the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Where did they come from? They came from Egyptian slavery. How bad can it get with the curses of God? It can get so bad that Moses says, you're going to reach a point with all of these diseases, all this madness, everything that has broken you down, that you're going to escape. And you're going to say to yourself, I have an idea of survival. The only thing I know is to get on a ship and make my way back to Egypt. They use slaves there. I'll put myself on an auction block and I'll sell myself. Because then my master will at least have to feed me. He'll at least have to clothe me. Wow, that's coming a long way, isn't it? When that's the best you have to offer yourself. And Moses says, let me warn you. You're going to be in such a condition that when you place yourself up on that block, the auctioneer will say, who will give me a hundred? Fifty? Twenty-five? Ten? One dollar. Who will give me one dollar for this slave? 
And nobody will bid on you. All of these things came true over many generations for the children of Israel. Because they would not serve a God that blesses obedience. Instead, they served their God, Satan, and suffered the curses. In the 30th chapter, in verse 15, it could be summed up like this. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. That was the 30th chapter, verse 15. What a summary. Putting Deuteronomy in in just a verse. You can have life or death. Good or evil. And 16, that comes back to obeying and loving God and keeping His commandments, His statutes, His judgments. And look at verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants shall live. If you would be turning uh, to Romans, the 11th chapter. And as you're turning to Romans, I'd like for you to look at this next slide. And we're just going to mention this because we have to bring all of this to a close. You see there in Matthew 22 and 37, what does God want? Jesus gives us the greatest commandment. Not love me with part of your life, but all of your life. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Look at Matthew, the 12th chapter and verse 30. What did Jesus teach? If we're not with him, we are against him. Look at John, the 14th chapter and verse 15. What is love? Keeping his commandments. Not some of his commandments, all of his commandments. Look at Revelations 3 and 16 and see the example of the Laodiceans. Hey, Laodiceans, are you against God? No, not really. Do you obey God? Well, not really everything. Well, what's God going to do to you? He says, that makes me sicker than anything. I'd rather you be totally cold than try to act like you're religious. Try to act like you're a Christian. But yet you got this area and you got this area where you still do it your way. What today? Today, does God really offer promises, blessings? With certain commands? Yeah. Look at this next slide, and we'll just mention them. Luke, the sixth chapter, he tells us that the way we give will be based upon how God gives back to us. That's a promise from God. Ephesians 6 and 2, how we honor our parents will affect our life. Matthew 6 and 33, we seek first the kingdom and God to give us all of the things that we need to survive. Acts 2 and 38 and 39, if we will be baptized, we can have the promise of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's made to us and to our children. And in John 14 and, and 2 and 3, we know that Jesus is coming again and He's prepared a place for those that are prepared for Him. That's a promise that He makes. In Romans the 11th chapter, He uses the examples we've just studied of the Israelites from the Old Testament. And, and He's even quoted parts of Deuteronomy. And it's in this setting that he says in verse 22, Romans eleven twenty-two. And by the way, the quotation out of Deuteronomy backs up to verse 8. But then in 11 and 22 he says, Therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fail, severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in His goodness. Otherwise you'll be cut off. We miss a clear image of God when all we see is a severe God that punishes. Or if all we see is a gracious God that rewards. 
Here Paul uses the example of the children of Israel and says, what we need to see is we need to see a whole picture of God. Who is God? He's a God that can be severe. He is a God that can be good. Well, which God do you serve? Well, it depends if you obey. If you obey, you see in your life the goodness of God. If you disobey, the God you know best is a severe God. Let's close by extending the invitation if you want to be turning to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Very simple plea in the book of Deuteronomy. Obey. Very uh, tremendous motives. Obey because you want the blessings in your life. Obey because you don't want the curses in your life. How does that translate to New Testament Christianity? As we think about New Testament Christianity, we do look to the very end of time. Well, who's going to be saved? We have a picture of the day of judgment in Matthew 25 and 31. And and we see that picture unfold in 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Now, now who's going to hear that? Those that are blessed. It's prepared for who? For you. Who's the you? The blessed. God's always intended before the foundations of the world to bless those who obey. And you probably know the rest of this story, how 35, 36, 37, it was the ones that were very active in doing good for others. But then notice verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Can this be the same God? A few verses earlier, we saw him saying, I prepared a place for the blessed. Oh, there's a place prepared that's cursed for the devil and his angels. And it's prepared for those that are cursed. What do we see here? There's several lessons we can learn, but today the emphasis is this. We see a choice. Every one of us here will make our choice. God doesn't make that choice. Emphasize that. God doesn't make that choice. This plan was laid out according to what we just read before the foundation of the world. God's laid out the scheme. And He says, let me tell you about my goodness and my severity. Here's this awesome place for those that are blessed. Let me tell you about this other place for those that are cursed. Let me tell you about who the blessed are. They have the Almighty as the Master and they obey the commands. Let me tell you who the cursed are. They don't have the Almighty as the Master. They don't obey His commands. This evening, at this very moment, I'm not talking about in the future. This very moment, what have you chosen? Right now, if all of us had to write down on a piece of paper what we've chosen, which one is it? Have we chosen a life that God can bless or one that He can curse? Let's not leave here. Let's not leave here as individuals that God would curse. That's where grace comes in. 
God can take away the guilt of past sins. God can cleanse the old rags and make them new. He can take the old hearts and make them pure and holy. He can take past sins that are muddy and dirty and clean us up like a newborn babe. But again, the choice is ours. Never once in all of the billions that have lived has He ever made anyone. The choice is ours. We're about to stand and sing a song of encouragement. And if your life isn't right with God, during this very song, you'll make a choice. You'll make a choice to stay with the curse or to join the blessed. Don't leave here making a foolish choice. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, become a part of the blessed. If you have, but yet you've left that side and you've gone to the curse, make a choice tonight to return. We serve an awesome God, gracious God, a merciful God, but a just God who's clearly laid out His justice. He's good and He's severe. And we choose that. We can help.